everybody. You are listening to the Tough Like a Girl podcast. My name is Nathaniel. And I'm Liz. And this is where we take a look at graphic novels and trade paperback collections with female protagonists. And in anticipation of the release, finally, of the Black <laughs> Widow movie, after over a year of delays because... I don't know. I'm sure there was some reason. I wasn't following the news. <laughs> so in anticipation, we are taking a look at Black Widow, The Finely Woven Thread. This is um, a trade collection collecting issues. Uh, this is volume one of a collection from the issues written by Nathan Edmondson with art by Phil Noto. Lettering by Clayton Coles and Eileen Pyle was, or sorry, Ellie Pyle was the editor. So, this is very much, uh, I was going to say an espionage story. I'm going to say it's a bit more like a sequence of espionage stories, mm -hmm. some of which connect, some of which don't. But, um, Natasha Romanoff, aka Black Widow, is basically running uh, ops for hire. And she is still with the Avengers, but the Avengers don't really pay very well, or at all, even. Mm -hmm. um, so, it should be made clear, though, that she's not really doing this for the money in the abstract. She's doing this to try and make amends, because she has a series of trusts set up that she is trying to, you know, get money into, and the... I don't think we get a ton of details on the specifics, but whatever whatever individuals or organizations or whatever that those trusts are benefiting are people that she wants to do right by after having done something wrong. So she has um, she has a lawyer friend. Isaiah. Thank you. I couldn't remember his name for a second. <laughs> You're welcome. Isaiah, who um, helps her, handles her finances. Um, and helps her vet the jobs because she won't take just any job. Um, so we watch her on uh, on a couple of missions. We watch her uh, on ones involving, um, you know, uh, removing people from situations. We watch her on a hit. Uh, we watch her go out on some missions assigned by S.H.I.E.L.D., who apparently doesn't pay very well, but <laughs> no. but she does still Shocking. take those jobs. Getting wrapped up in something that appears to be bigger than what she was expecting to get into, but we don't get, uh, in the, I think, five issues that this contains, we don't get a reveal on that, um, which is, I mean, that's typical for these trade collections anyways. But she does deal with the immediate threat that she was um, trying to take down. And, uh, yeah, the the overall angle is espionage and black ops operations. What did you think? Um, I liked it okay. It's not really my genre or thing anyways. Um, she was good. I liked her interactions with Isaiah and that she could have someone to go back to and kind of play off of. Um, I liked that Maria Hill was in it, um, so that was kind of cool, because we didn't have a lot of other characters I knew. No. Um, and then... I mean, there's a blinking, you'll miss it, Hawkeye appearance at the end, but... Yeah, and then, um, I mean, there were references to other characters. It was okay, um... 
The art didn't do much for me. It was kind of... See, like... It... I liked the, like, cover art of the different issues, but that was, that was the most distinctive to me. I was noticing at one point that, like, all the women had the same color eyes, and I was like, well, that just seems kind of lazy to me. <laughs> um, and, like, the same shaped eyes. Um... You know, they really emphasize her hair and the colors sometimes, but it just was kind of like, it wasn't bad art. It didn't, like, distract me, but it just didn't do it much for me. The art for me, like, I could see what was being gone for. And actually, in a lot of cases, I even liked it often. Um, like, especially the use of the color, mm -hmm. I thought was often quite good. Um, but there are some times where it, it, the art gets a little bit muddy. I think deliberately so, mm -hmm. but it doesn't really do a lot for me. And I honestly, I think the issue that looks the best is the last one, mm -hmm. which is set in, which has scenes set in snow and like the contrast of these characters against white works better than all the black and the blue Mm -hmm. That they the, were that yeah, they were set yeah. against for most of the rest of the book. Mm -hmm. um, it is good art. It is a, it's a fairly distinct style. Um, the paneling was good though for action. I will say that the way they broke it up and stuff. That, yeah, it, it does. We've had it, other. It has comic a good flow. Books where I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't understand what's happening with the action, and this I never felt lost by it. I think the narrative. This one was more for. Given that it was espionage and that we kept switching locations, I never it never really lost me. So I will give that to this. Um, well, I think there's a couple reasons for that. But before I say something on that, though, what I, I I'll actually say that this is actually a really good example of smart paneling because it there isn't a standard layout per page. It mm -hmm. does change almost every page. Mm -hmm. But it never tries to be fancy. It changes in aid of, okay, what is going to work best to convey what we're currently doing, as opposed to some of that absurd nonsense that we saw in the Scarlet Witch Oh my gosh, book. where it was like... Yeah, like... Circles and spirals and paneling, and I was... I don't know oh. who they thought they were trying to impress, but I was just irritated. Yeah. Um, but the other thing is, I think, despite being an espionage story, which are notoriously convoluted... Mm-hmm. I think what helps is, like, our POV character, Black Widow, is a, we have about as much information as she does. Mm. And where a lot of espionage stories fall down mm -hmm. is that too much information is being withheld from the reader or the viewer. Mm -hmm. And here we are about as up to speed as Natasha herself is, mm -hmm. which is, first of all, it's playing fair. And secondly, I think it gives us a better chance to feel a kinship with her because we're like, something happens and she's like, what the hell? And we're over here going, what the hell? And we're like, okay, I get you. I think it did a good job of humanizing her because there was like one issue where she's talking about all her mistakes and and part of me was like, you're making an awful lot of mistakes. Like, how are you still alive? But I did like the humanizing aspect of it and that you know she was confused and then you know like tried to make the right decision or give people the benefit of doubt and then would get fooled by them you know which yeah. i would not have guessed from her but 
Well, I mean, I think what it does is it, it paints a and I don't know how consistent this is with how she has been depicted lately, but it paints a picture of someone who survives not because she can always account for everything, but because she's smart enough and then can is good enough at improvising her way through the rest. She's very good at figuring out... <laughs> I'm, this is the... The phrasing I'm going to use is influenced by the fact that we just watched Frozen 2. Uh -huh. um, she's very good at figuring out the next best thing for her to do <laughs> in the situation, even if she doesn't have a full-blown plan. She's very good at figuring out, okay, I did that, now what? The Leonard Snart version of it. <laughs> yes. Make the plan, execute the plan, expect the plan to go off the rails... Throw away the plan. Yep. She's got to throw away a lot of plans in yep. there. And yep. And she, improvise. Yeah. A and lot. she does that that pretty well. And also, like, the fact that it is espionage makes me way more forgiving of having a volume that feels like it doesn't wrap everything up. Because, <laughs> yeah. well, because that's way more standard for espionage in general. I mean, a lot of the best espionage stories dealing with, like, ground level operations you have people working half in the dark who don't totally know you know the motivations of the people they're working for or against and so it actually something that usually annoys me which is like oh this like this yeah this actually as far as the narrative goes felt about as complete as watching atomic blonde did <laughs> my gosh yes <laughs> like, look, if you haven't seen Atomic Blonde, the action scenes are absolutely some of the best you will ever see in your life. Good luck figuring out what the hell the plot is. Mm -hmm. But, like, I felt about as narratively satisfied as this as I did by that. So I'm like, yeah. I felt more <laughs> satisfied by this book, I have to say, because I could follow it better. So. Yeah. So, I, in a way, the just a change of genre makes something that normally annoys me something that I'm like, oh, yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah. It's kind it, of funny how that happens. It, you can definitely give it more leeway. Um, you know what I liked? I liked the little um, thread that they kept coming back to, that there's a cat outside oh, her apartment. Oh, I did apartment. like the cat. We do an awful lot of books that have, like, a cat or a dog. I've been noticing that. <laughs> well, yeah. Everyone's got to come back to their furry friend, so... <sighs> And the cat that she doesn't want to let into her apartment because she's got a lot of damage and a lot of uh, making connections issues. Yes, um, even with a kitty. Even with a cat. like she's And she has a special spider friend outside her window, too, because she's Black Widow. Of course. Uh... Um, but, yeah, I, I just think this is pretty solid for what it was trying to be. I think it... It gave us, it gave her, um, a specific threat with this really muscular guy with oversized weapons that she ran into a few times. Mm -hmm. Um, he worked fairly well. The, the guy that he was working for is, I assume somebody in the comics who's established. I don't know, uh, Damon Dran. I don't know him. I don't know him either. I was also intrigued by Tori Raven, who was giving her... Yes. Sort of botched in hell. Yeah. Um. I don't know those characters either. Now, part of this is because the this sort of area of comics is one that I'm a bit less familiar with in general. I don't. I don't know a ton about the the, the shield operations <laughs> sorts of things. Yeah, I don't know shields very well. But um, I mean, it it 
it was a pretty good execution of what it was trying to be. And I think if this is a character who you like, mm -hmm. that you'll you'll definitely find what you like about her present here. And if you like espionage as a genre, and either like it in comics or aren't used to seeing it in comics, it's a it's a pretty solid example of that. Mm -hmm. I do kind of want to pause. We haven't done this in a while. I kind of want to pause and talk about the pinups at the back of the <laughs> thing. Because uh, we've got one by Scotty Young, um, our our quote-unquote friend from um, <laughs> I, Hate, I Hate Fairyland. <laughs> but I kind of want to a bit more focus on the fact that they have one by Milo Manera, who, like, his lit, he, he draws porn. That's who he is. That's what he does. And his pose and the composition is in keeping with his style and what he does. And yet it feels far less exploitative than the pinup done by J. Scott Campbell yeah. and Nee Rufino where... God, she looks dumb. I mean, that's I think that's the kicker. The little open mouth, like, oh no! Yeah, they put this face on her. She would never make the cutie pie face. Yeah, that's the... like. I don't... There's, like, there's stuff to criticize about Milo Manera's composition. Like, he's got the friggin' top unzipped down practically to her navel, but she looks dangerous. She looks like she's gonna strangle yeah, you. She yeah, lo she looks like she's prepared to kick your ass for looking at how she's dressed the way you are. Uh-huh. Still criticism to be made, but you don't doubt that she is in control of the situation. This one just looks like a bad joke. It's, it's not good. Uh, yeah. It's been a while I since I felt the need to comment on the pinups in the back, but oh my god. Well, I say pinups. These are variant covers, but since it's Black Widow, they're mostly basically pinups. <laughs> the one with death is kind of cool. That, yeah, that one is Frank Joe and Justin Ponsor. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Mm -hmm. And definitely probably the least pinup-ish. Um, followed maybe by uh, J.G. Jones at the very back. Which, it kind of has a movie poster vibe. Yeah, I kind of like it. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, before we pause and then get into listener feedback, um, are you excited for the movie? I am. I do. I do like the character. I like the supporting cast. Because um, you've got um, Florence Pugh, right? You've got Florence Pugh. You have um, Rachel Weisz. Oh, and, I forgot Rachel Weiss was in it. And wow. David Harbour. And David Harbour. So I'm excited for that. Um, I think it's a, it's one of Scarlett Johansson's most memorable roles. And, you know, she's not trying to be transgender or Asian, so Ugh. that helps. Um, and... Yeah. Yeah, uh, we're, sorry. We're not... We're <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, I'm not, I'm not. Google's your friend. I do not have the spoons to rehash not, yeah. this, that nonsense. I uh, um, <laughs> yeah, so I'm looking for, I, the problem is I haven't really thought about it in a year. So <laughs> I'm not as excited as I was like maybe back in May or so of 2020. So yeah, yeah. Gifts it, of the pandemic. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's not too much that can be done about that, but it'll it'll be nice to see. I am looking forward to it. Yes. I even though I'm 95% sure I figured out one of the major twists already, but 
whatever. We'll see. Hopefully I'm wrong. <laughs> so uh, we will take a quick commercial break and then come back with listener feedback. You don't have to tell me what you think that twist is. Are you sure you want me to tell you? Maybe not. Maybe after we watch the movie. How okay. I'll, I'll tell you if I was right after the fact. Why are we doing this again, Molly? It's simple, Mercy. Your adventures as a trucker haven't stopped, and neither has Ron Randall. Who's Ron Randall? He's the writer and artist behind the comic books that star you, me, and Scuff. <coughs> oh, him. So what does he want? An autograph? No. He wants people to help fund his Kickstarter. They can go to trekkerkickstarter.com and find out how to back the project and what rewards they can get. They might even get to share an adventure with you. What? I'm not taking some wet-behind-the-ears wannabes out to get themselves shot up. Where did he get an idea like that? Well, he's done it successfully before. <sighs> Typical. Ron Randall's Trekker has a new Kickstarter beginning this summer. Remember to go to TrekkerKickstarter.com for all the information on backer rewards, stretch goals, and how you can help bring the next Mercy St. Clair adventure into reality. Okay, everybody, we are back with listener feedback on Snapdragon, which, for as much as we loved it, we didn't get a ton of feedback on. Um, you know what? That said, if anyone wants to drop a comment on this one after this goes up, I, you know, will read it again later. Because I really, I really want to hear from more people about this We did this say one. it was a lot of, like, spoilers and stuff, so maybe people did actually go out and read it. And that's that's true. We, that's what we're going to convince We might have been hoisted by our own petard for warning people that a lot of the conversation was going to be spoiler-ridden. So maybe we did this to ourselves. Yes. But... Like, if anyone gets around to reading and has thoughts, I would really love to hear them. Because this, the, this is one of the ones that meant enough to me reading it that I, I would love to see more feedbacks. And even though they're, you know, they'd be late now, I think we can remember to address those next month if you feel like doing them. Mm -hmm. um, but anyways, you want to take the first one? Yes. Um, from Lizanne Oswell. Impressive podcast. Most impressive. This sounds like a cool slice of life comic. Um, yeah, folks just being folks is kind of cool. I don't know much about magic. Me and my family had the prolific dreams, but never trusted myself with learning magic. Is it real? Possibly? I'm not sure. There are many things science can't explain, but I haven't seen any magic that would be where I'm like, that works. Anyway, I remember the story of the kid who thought she was a witch and thought her cat talked to her. Sadly, her thoughts on Wiccan were a bit... Wizard of Oz bit. <laughs> I know a few Wiccans, some uh, good, some a bit oi. Not evil, but oi. But enough good ones. Seems the witch next door in this is a good one. Um, as for seeing magic, well, it's a comic. Maybe her magic will build to something. I like the craft. Sorry. <laughs> who knows? I know a lot of people who like the craft. I like it. the craft. It's not a movie I'll defend, but it's one I will put in the pile of this is my trash. I enjoy practical magic, so there you go. That's Everyone your has, trash. Yeah, that's my trash. <laughs> um, maybe that's why they showed some real magic. I know one person who makes art from animal bones and sells them, just not online. I could see that being like a lucrative thing. I could too. And like, I kind of want to pause for a second. Like, it is worth emphasizing that the book doesn't really depict 
um, Wicca. It is just a broader idea of a witch, which I personally kind of appreciate because, first of all, it's a safer thing to do because yes. since Wicca is a slightly more formalized thing with its own specifics, mm -hmm. um, it's actually kind of, well, now there's retroactively a lot, but it was actually kind of one of the problems with Buffy the Vampire Slayer where they, oh, where yeah. they would conflate in dialogue Wicca and the just flat out made up yeah, magic, magic that yeah. they were doing in the show. And I, I guess I'll also specify that when I say my, my mother is and my grandmother was a witch, they weren't Wiccans. They didn't practice that. But like, it's just, it's just something that has run in the family and is difficult to define or even explain to people who haven't been around um, people like my grandmother or my mother, but if you are around them, you're gonna pick up on it. It's actually kind of hard to miss. But anyways. Yes. Continuing on. So I knew a girl who had a dog with a leg that stopped growing and he walked fine. So this dog seems fine. Not sure about the age of the lady and Snap's grandmother. In the 30s is the story in modern time. I think it's actually set in like the 60s when they get together because they mention um i think that's the flashback era yeah loving the case for loving which is i think was settled in either the 50s or 60s late 50s or 60s yeah i'm really bad at history remembering dates so just know that um is this story in modern time how long did snap's granny wait to have her mom my granny was in the 30s and she was a kid and i'm 47 so the age seems off a bit still seems like a cool comic the lady next door um the witch kind of looks like the witch from the cartoon on hbo that dan Aykroyd did a voice in he voiced a guy whom with his girlfriend gets the witch's wand and turns themselves and others into different stuff until the witch who's a socialite returns and turns them back into human she was a decent person just left the wand where they could get it anyways they end up at a party and everyone wants her to turn them into stuff she smiles and agrees and that's the end of it anyways this drawing reminds me of that cartoon i don't actually know that oh one. my gosh i know that cartoon what is it oh my god oh i can't remember what it's called i i had it um because um my oh boy short version of this um growing up i didn't have tv in the house we had a television set and we had a vcr and we watched movies but my mother hated television so we didn't you know we didn't even have the rabbit ears to get up to get local channels but my grandmother had cable so mm -hmm. what she would do is she would tape stuff off of the <laughs> disney channel and things like that and so i had all these these tapes that she taped off tv and she had taped a bunch of halloween themed stuff and one of them was that because I remember I, I remember this plot very much. It's like from the seventies, um, and it's it's a very unique animation style. Uh huh. Um, but it is this whole thing with, uh, or we might be remembering something similar, but not quite the same. So maybe this is something else because I don't remember them stealing the one, but I do remember like them meeting a witch and a witch turns them into what they want to be and it causes shenanigans and that the very and the very end of it is the witch just turning basically everybody in the town into what they want to be and that's the end of the thing and it's it's cutesy and it's weird we maybe we were remembering the same thing or maybe we're remembering slightly similar things i can't remember now but i do not know either of these things so <laughs> Okay. <laughs> but when, when she got to the end, I was like, that might be something I've seen. Maybe not. I don't know. I can't remember what it was called, regardless. Magical shenanigans. Yes. 
Like Gerald, that's that sh that should be a genre. Magical magical shenanigans. Um, Snap's friendship with Lulu seemed cool. It wasn't. That, that was, yeah, that was a, that was wonderful. Let, glad they treat her as a character well. And, um, her other stuff is her just as a person and not the bonk in the head narration of her, oh, being trans. So there's, so, uh, Liz is talking about Lulu and that's just part of her life. Okay. Enough about Lulu. I wonder why Snap calls herself Snapdragon. I noticed, I think they explained that. The, I mean, it's actually her name, and it's the tradition of her family that the daughters are named after the mother's favorite flower. So, which is funny because her grandmother's allergic to flowers. Yeah, yep. which is which kind of becomes a bit of a, not really a plot point, but like an interesting tie-in thing. Yeah. But um, in any case, Snap is her nickname. Her name is Snapdragon, and that like that's legitimately what her name is. Mm-hmm. Um... And her mom's Violet, if I remember. Yes. Vi, yeah. I noticed the deer behind her and how the buck's antler, antlers look similar to her hairstyle. Yes, I also noticed that. That actually drove me a little crazy on the cover. <laughs> I was like, is it supposed to? What's going on? Is it? Are, is she supposed to? Is she getting antlers? What's going on before I had read it? You, the, the way her hair is drawn, too, it's a little bit like, wait, what? Yeah. Yeah, the, the cover... It's not the best cover. No, it's I like not, the art it's inside not better. awful, but it's not the best. At first I thought the book was a spirit animal but and not in the image, but uh, not sure where the story takes place. Can't wait to hear the next podcast. Thank you, Lizanne. We also got a comment from Brian Linton. Thanks for the great review. I suggested to my daughter that she invites, that, that she give Snapdragon a try uh, if she comes across it. She recently read and enjoyed... The Witch Boy by Molly Osterha uh, Ostertag, which sounds like it might have might have some similar themes, even if the genres differ a bit. Snapdragon seems to fall more under magical realism, while Witch Boy seems to have more traditional fantasy elements. Of course, I say that having read neither of the books myself, so take my observations for what they're worth, i.e. not very much. That's not me editorializing. He actually said that. And he concludes with, as always, I look forward to the next episode. Thank you very much, Brian. Yep, I think we have the witch boy at my school. I remember getting it for a student. It's like one of those ones that I think just came back on the last day of school. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I, I want to look into it eventually. Um, I mean, I like it just for the title. I can't... I can, no, it was, uh, it, was, it was Jesse. I finally got um, Jesse Gender to, to power through... Uh, first season of Owl House, she stalled because she didn't like the first episode that much. Um, but one of the things she pointed out was that everyone who's learning magic or knows magic is a witch, regardless of gender. And it's never addressed. Mm -hmm. Like, no, it's just not a gendered term here. And looking that up, I wanted to confirm that Molly Ostertag is Noelle Stevenson's um, partner and wife. Oh! Wow. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Very so, cool. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I guess we'll wrap it up there. We do not currently know <laughs> what we're doing next time. We're probably going to be trying to figure it out as soon as we finish recording. But uh, that'll be it for this one, folks. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Tough Like a Girl is a Council of Geeks production and is presented on the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Comments can be left on fireandwaterpodcast.com, and you can support the network by finding us on Patreon. This particular show was supported by Carolyn and Brian Linton. 
Our logo art was created by Nick Buxom, and our theme music is by Erica Dreisbach, whose other works can be found at ericaricardo.com. Bye.